You're highlighting one of the big challenges we face in the self-driving technology industry, which is this unfamiliarity with the technology itself. So our experience with rolling out the commercial ride hailing service in Phoenix has been that uh, public education is essential to demystify this new technology. And we really see it as our responsibility along with others in the industry to advance the conversation around this technology. I'm Jim Park, and this is an HTT Talks Trucking Special Report on Autonomous Trucks. That was VJ Patnayak, the founder and head of Waymo's self-driving trucks project. He started that line of business back in 2017. Today, he leads the team that's developing the self-driving hardware and software, as well as the go-to-market strategy that'll soon see a fleet of trucks operating without drivers on public roads. On this episode, we talk with VJ about the technology and its place on the highways and how human and robotic drivers will get along. In the second half, VJ addresses the challenge of getting public perception aligned with the robotics industry's goals and objectives and how we'll determine when driverless trucks are ready to go solo. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe button and give us a like while you're at it. We've included a few links to Waymo's website and stories about the company in the podcast description. And we have a few other podcasts about autonomous trucking from Season 2 and Season 3. Check those out while you're here. My conversation with Vijay Petnayak is coming up right after this. Bobbitt Business Media's Fleet Forward Conference is going virtual this year. Because of the travel restrictions and budget cuts brought on by the pandemic, we're bringing Fleet Forward to you. Join us for Fleet Forward 2020 virtually November 9th through the 13th at fleetforwardconference.com. Hey, VJ, it's great to have you on HTT Talks Trucking. Uh, hey, Jim, great to talk to you about this. VJ, there's a lot going on right now in the uh, autonomous vehicle world. Several fleets are putting you know, vehicles into road testing, and there's still an awful lot of questions uh, I think the public has and certainly the industry has. So can you explain to me on a, on a fundamental level, uh, do these trucks actually learn how to drive or are they simply responding to a sort of a pre-programmed set of instructions? Uh, yes, our vehicles do actually learn to detect and respond to different conditions on the road. Uh, so the Waymo driver, which is what we call our self-driving technology that includes both our software and the suite of sensors and other hardware, that driver is capable of performing the entire driving task in the entire in the environment for which it is designed. So like any human driver, um, the, the technology is trying to answer four questions. First is, where am I? So before our vehicles drive in any locations, our team builds out uh, detailed three-dimensional maps that highlight information such as road profiles, lane markers, curbs, traffic lights, and other road features. And rather than relying on GPS, Waymo's vehicles cross-reference these pre-built maps with real-time data that's coming from the sensors to precisely understand where they are on the road. Then the second question they answer is, what's around me? And so our sensors and software detect surrounding objects like pedestrians, other vehicles, sightless, emergency vehicles, construction, et cetera, and in all directions. So they can even tell which direction an object is facing and assess the speed at which it's traveling. So there's a lot of different complexity here. So if you think about 
pedestrians, for example, they could come in different shapes and sizes, different postures. They may be having gestures, wearing different clothing. So our technology needs to be able to understand all of that. Once it's answered the question of what's around me, the third question is what will happen next? So actually predicting how others in the environment will behave. So for each road user, the technology is able to make predictions about their movements in the future, just like a human would. Except that while a human driver might only be able to do this for a handful of uh, objects, uh, the Waymo driver can do this for hundreds of objects in every direction simultaneously. So it understands that a car will move differently than a motorcyclist. And then the last thing is uh, the question that uh, the Waymo driver is trying to answer is what should I do? So then making a driving decision based on that information. And so to answer that question of what should I do, uh, the, the Waymo driver takes into account all of the above information uh, to determine an appropriate uh, trajectory as well as the speed that it should take. So that sounds very human. Uh, you know, the same way you and I would assess a situation, uh, looking around us, gathering information from what the people and cars are doing, and then make a decision from there. That's right. Uh, so we uh, we learn to drive in many of the same ways that humans do. And that accumulated intelligence, uh, is that shared amongst the fleet of vehicles in, in within the Waymo fleet, or, or is it unique to that particular vehicle at that point? Uh, it is actually shared across our entire fleet. So the whole fleet of vehicles benefits from the same experience and the advancements that we make in the technology. Uh, so this learning actually accumulates in two different ways. Uh, so let me explain that a bit more. So the first is if one of our vehicles encounters a challenging condition on the freeway, let's say a truck in, uh, which was um, self-driving has a vehicle that cuts in really close. We can then log that data, review it, run it through simulation, and in fact creates hundreds of variations of those that same challenging situation to understand what else could have happened and how can we make sure that our truck would have behaved safely in all of those variations as well. So then we can go and update our self-driving software and then this enhanced Waymo driver is then available to all the vehicles. So that's one way that our entire fleet benefits from this accumulated learning. The other is the kind of learning that happens in real time. So let's say one of our trucks encounters a construction zone on the freeway that came up overnight. So we didn't know about it uh, before. Uh, that information actually can get shared across our fleet in near real time. So any other trucks that are on the road can know that there's a construction zone coming up or a traffic jam coming up and they can plan out an appropriate action in advance. So that's a couple of ways by which we, uh, that the learning gets accumulated and shared. I will point out though, that we are not using any kind of uh, V2V or V2I technology that often gets talked about in the industry. We're not reliant on that. No, I think it's a bit early for that because none of that technology has really been deployed yet, has it? That's right, it is early and we want to be able to build our um, the Waymo driver to uh, to work safely and properly on today's roads and today's conditions without relying on any new infrastructure being set up. Okay. So if I could just pose a scenario to you here and you talk me through how the truck would uh, react to it. If the truck was making a left turn on an intersection that it knew, it was mapped out, it knew the territory, but the, the, the wild card here would be a car... Uh, to the truck's left that's pulled too far past the stop line. 
In other mm-hmm. words, the car is now not where the stop line says it should be and is interfering yeah. with the path of the truck on the left turn. Yeah. How does the, uh, the Waymo driver react to a situation like that? Yeah, I mean that's a great question. It's uh, so driving is is um, is sort of a social activity at its core in many yeah. cases, right? Yeah. Um, so so we do a couple of things. So one is uh, like a human driver, we also signal our intent to other road users. Uh, so that might mean that we nudge ahead of our uh, stop line a bit to show that we are trying to see around the other vehicles, or that we have our turns. Let's say we are trying to make a turn and they're blocking our view, then we obviously have our turn signal on. And we might nudge ahead of our stop line uh, to indicate that we are trying to see around traffic and actually make a left turn. And there's lots of examples of how uh, other ways how we might signal our intent. It could be managing how we accelerate or decelerate in order to allow merging situations where we stop, uh, as well as nudging um, sort of within our lane to indicate that we want to actually shift lanes. So those are some ways by which we signal our intent to other road users. Okay. And then the other part of it is we also need to understand how they are interpreting those movements. So whether it's a another vehicle, as you pointed out, or whether it's a pedestrian or cyclist, how are they going to understand what um, what we are trying to convey? And we so we do a lot of thinking and research around that part as well, and then determine what are the best ways to signal our intent. And you know, so we do that work. And when it comes to these kind of sort of social scenarios and challenging ones. It's experience is really the best teacher. So that's why we responsibly and safely deploy and test on public roads because it provides a kind of essential learning that would otherwise not be possible in a purely simulated environment. Uh, because as you mentioned, we need to understand what is natural for humans, both uh, within the cars as well as on the road in general and learn to interact with them. So the trucks are actually engaged in the politics of driving at this point. Yeah, we have to learn how to uh, how to manage the politics, as you say, or the social dynamics of driving. Yeah. When you get into a situation where it's uh, uncharted territory, I'm thinking in terms of a, an accident scene, perhaps, where the police have the road blocked and the police are directing traffic back and forth one way around this obstacle. How does the police yeah. officer interface with the truck, with the Waymo driver? Yeah, great question. So... Um, so this a, you've identified a um, interesting, challenging situation. So today, uh, when we are testing on public roads, our trucks still have a trained, commercially licensed driver in the driver's seat. They're mm-hmm. responsible for pulling the truck over if something happens, like a, a law enforcement stop. And so all of our trained drivers uh, know how to and have been trained in how to interact properly with the law enforcement. Now, looking ahead, when these trucks are fully uh, driverless with nobody in the cab, our Waymo driver needs to be responsible and will be responsible for pulling the trucks over and following the uh, gestures or guidance of the law enforcement. And on the other side, um, we've also released um, for our cars a Waymo emergency response guide in terms of how law enforcement officials can interact with our uh, with our cars. So that's actually publicly available on our website. And we intend to do the same for our trucks as well. So there will be some way that the the officer can interface with the truck and instruct it on what to do or how to react. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, that that's coming though. It's not is there, or is it ready to go now? So the the cars, uh, the one for our passenger cars. So for our fully driverless ride hailing service that's operational in Phoenix, 
the emergency response guide is already available. That's on our website. Uh, you can see it. It explains very clearly mm-hmm. how to interact with the vehicles in different situations. And for the truck one, we're in the process of developing it and we'll make that available as well. Now, in terms of the technology itself, um, everyday truck drivers are responsible for a trip inspection before they leave. Uh, they have to check the brakes, the lights, all those sort of things to make sure they're working. Is there a similar check for your technology on board the truck where somebody, something, or a self-diagnostic that uh, can certify the vehicle is in in good condition and ready to take to the road? Yeah, so our trucks you know, have been and will uh, continue to follow all of the uh, regulations to ensure their safety, including compliance, um, such as to routine inspections. Now, there's uh, if you think about uh, to your question about uh, daily inspections, if you think to the future where they are fully driverless trucks, uh, there's two or three things. One is uh, for any pre or post trip inspections that uh, are happening at a depot or an AV transfer hub, uh, those for those a, a human driver will still be around mm-hmm. to be able to do yeah. those. Uh, when the truck is on the road and um, today in uh, in the trucking industry, uh, a truck could be pulled over at a way station or for a surprise check. So for those situations when there's no human on board the vehicle, the procedures that the trucking industry has today won't be a perfect fit. Uh, so Waymo, um, along with other companies, we're working with regulators to figure out what solution might work best in that case. And separately from that, we do continue to monitor uh, on board the performance of the overall system as we are driving. So we have lots of checks and balances to understand that the system is performing as expected. How does, yeah, I, I get that. And there's enough sensors on a truck now that we could detect if a light was out or had a you know a low tire. Uh, but how does the system diagnose its own performance to make sure that all the sensors are working and interpreting the data the way they should? Like, I... I I interviewed someone a couple of days ago on this and they said, for example, if you hit a bug on your mm-hmm. sensor and it would affect yeah. the way the sensor sees something. So uh, yeah. is your system capable of, you know, understanding that it's been hit by a bug and adjusting itself or does it pull over and go to sleep for a while till somebody comes out and cleans it? Yeah. So it actually can detect when it's um, the term we internally use is occluded, whether that's by a bug or it's by rain falling or a leaf that falls on, on the camera or in front of the LIDAR. So not only is this, do we design checks and balances to detect that this has occurred, we also have cleaning systems on our uh, hardware, including our sensors, to be able to clean the sensors on the go. And if we realize that that's not feasible, uh, then uh, this is L4 technology. So the, uh, the, the vehicle will by itself come to a safe stop uh, in uh, either on the side of the road or depending on which uh, roads it's on, um, and make sure that uh, that the that the sensor gets clean before we resume fully driverless operation. I'm Jim Park, and you're listening to an HDT Talks Trucking Special Report on Autonomous Trucks, featuring the head of Waymo's self-driving trucks project, VJ Petnayak. Still to come in the second half. VJ explains how the industry and the regulators will determine when self-driving trucks will be ready for prime time and how public perception is shaping the driverless vehicles debate. If you like what you're hearing on HDT Talks Trucking, give us a like and subscribe to the podcast. If you have a question or a comment or there's something you'd like us to cover on HDT Talks Trucking, drop me an email at jpark at truckinginfo.com. We'll be back with VJ Pitnayak right after this.
Forward 2020 features a great lineup of talent and topics developed by the people you trust for fleet insight and best practices. Topics include transforming your relationship with your utility company from foe to friend and how to plan for fleet electrification while keeping your sanity. Fleet Forward 2020 is online and totally virtual this year, November 9th through the 13th. Register now at fleetforwardconference.com. How are we going to know as a society and certainly as an industry when these trucks are actually ready for truly driverless operation that is no safety driver in the seat? Um, Is there a bar or some benchmark or a number of million miles of, you know, safe driving? What is that bar and how will we know when we get there? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so at Waymo, the we've been working on this for for a decade or so, and so we've developed um, a data-driven criteria that combines two things. One is uh, systems engineering best practices, such as those that were developed in space programs in the aeronautics industry, and second, a comprehensive testing and validation program, which uses simulation, it uses closed course testing on our private tracks. Uh, as well as public road testing with trained test drivers. In fact, we've actually published like a 40-page safety report that outlines this approach in a lot more detail, Um, but I'll give you a a one-minute version of it as well. So over the last decade, we've driven about 20 million or so miles autonomously on public roads and 15 billion miles in simulation. Uh, So testing on public roads is an important part of the testing, but not the only thing by which we learn from experience. So in addition to that, uh, we do a lot of testing in the virtual world. So every single day we're driving the equivalent of something like 100 real world years in simulation, which allows us to both refine old skills as well as test out new maneuvers and continuously improve the capabilities of the Waymo driver. And we've also completed thousands of tests on our private test track, which is a you know mock uh, test uh, city in central California, which has everything from high-speed roads to suburban driveways, railroad crossings and stuff. So we use this to uh, test out new situations that we may not even have encountered on public roads. And we also use it to validate new software before it's released to our fleet of vehicles on the road. Um, and during this testing, we are able to, whether it's in simulation, whether it's on our private test track, whether it's on public roads, we continuously assess and review the data and monitor the system's performance, uh, respond to any areas that need to be improved, rapidly iterate on it. And ultimately, that's what gives us the confidence to deploy this technology uh, safely and responsibly um, on public roads. And who will decide when it's safe? You, based on the criteria you've just explained, or is there a regulator involved? So we talk um, regularly with um, regulators and other public officials. As I mentioned, we actually published a a 40-page safety report that outlines this approach. um, And that takes into account some of the feedback that we've heard externally as well. And so we do closely work with them. And then internally, yes, we monitor all of these um, different metrics and uh, the data-driven criteria I was mentioning to decide when it's safe to deploy on public roads. Between yourself and a couple of your competitors, there's probably half a dozen or more uh, autonomous driving systems out there for for heavy trucks. There has to be differences in them, um, just because of the technology and the different people who put it together. Uh, Is 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 one system demonstrably better or worse than another, or will all these systems be on the road for I don't know an equivalent level of safety? Um, Should we? 
don't have to mention names here, but <laughs> should we be leery of, of some of the systems and, and more accepting of others? Um, so without um, knowing the ins and outs of the systems that are deployed by um, other AV companies, um, I think I'll speak to what makes the, the Waymo driver and the Waymo VR solution uh, unique. Uh, so first is you know, decades of experience. So we've been doing this since 2009 when the project began as a Google self-driving car project. And so we've been at this longer than any other self-driving company, uh, including doing fully driverless um, rides with members of the public in the Phoenix area with our passenger cars. Mm -hmm. Uh, the second is uh, the technology stack. So we've developed our technology in-house, both the hardware and the software, uh, to be customized for L4 self-driving system. And we don't need to rely on on-the-shelf sensors. So doing this in-house allows us to have better hardware-software integration. It allows our teams to work closely together and iterate quickly and develop a system for L4 um, self-driving. Uh, the third, I would say, is the quality of the team. Um, I, I'm biased when I say this, obviously, but I think mm -hmm. we have some of the best talent in the world. I'm very fortunate to be working with uh, with the colleagues that I do get to work with on a daily basis. Um, so from researchers to um, robotics folks to talented hardware, software, manufacturing, systems engineering in every different sphere, and you really need that diversity of people to come together to solve a challenging problem like this. And then the last thing is just alphabet resources and infrastructure. Um, so we are in the fortunate position to have access to rich, powerful infrastructure from alphabet as well as resources from the company. And that also gives us an advantage in sort of AI and machine learning technology, um, which uh, has been advanced by, uh, by alphabet as a whole. So you're putting the, uh, basically the experience of your team behind your product. It, obviously, you're going to stand behind it. That's right. Yeah, we um, we think we have one of the best teams uh, and talent in the world working on this. Okay. Now, on that same vein, uh, do the other companies? I know you don't rely on V two V and V two I and those sorts of things. You're, you know, operating totally within your own little sphere here. But can those other systems interface with you, or do they need to interface with other autonomous vehicles at all while they're driving? Um, so. Uh, Systems from or sort of AV trucks from other companies uh, can't interface with our AV trucks directly. So there's no communication channel by which on the road they're communicating with each other, so to speak, the V2V communication. Yeah. Um, so was that the, the question? That was the idea. Uh, yeah, I was just trying to get a sense if there's any need to. I mean, the other, the other truck would see your truck as a, another truck and vice versa. Right. So is, is that as far as it needs to go? Yeah, I think that's as far as it needs to go. As we talked about before, uh, there are obviously things we do to under both signal our intent as well as understand how that is uh, interpreted by other road agents. So similarly with other AV trucks, we will follow the same protocols. Um, and we don't think at this point we need to directly be able to communicate with another vehicle. So with all this technology working in our favor, uh, things do go wrong. Brakes quit, steering pumps go out of commission. What sort of redundancy have you built into you, uh, into your, your heavy truck platform at this point? Yeah, great question, Jim. Uh, redundancy is one thing that doesn't get talked about enough when we talk about the technology, but is actually critical to um, the testing and development and driverless deployment of um, AV trucks. 
So we actually think about redundancy from a number of perspectives in the braking systems, in the steering systems, but also in the power system, the compute, and having things like collision mitigation braking. So that in any uh, fault that occurs in the system, whether it's in the sensors or whether it's in the um, braking or steering, the vehicle is able to bring itself to a safe stop. And today, if you were to go and just buy a truck from a dealership or an OEM, trucks don't come equipped with redundant braking or steering. No, so no, that's no. something that we've been working on uh, with our partners and leveraging the, in, the experience of having built redundant systems on the car side for a number of generations of passenger car sides. So let's get off the technical technical track here onto some sort of fuzzier stuff. I keep seeing in my inbox uh, emails from people with surveys about autonomous vehicles saying how much the general public doesn't trust them and doesn't want them, uh, uncomfortable with the technology. How do you respond to that? Yeah, you're highlighting one of the big challenges we face in the self-driving technology industry, which is this unfamiliarity with the technology itself. So our experience with rolling out the commercial ride hailing service in Phoenix has been that uh, public education is essential to demystify this new technology. And we really see it as our responsibility along with others in the industry to advance the conversation around this technology. So we've been driving in California since 2009, in Phoenix since 2016, and multiple other geographies through the, com- uh, through the country. So in that time, we've worked pretty extensively with Uh, both local officials and policymakers, as well as the communities in those areas to educate them on our tech and what to expect, including around our trucks. So it's actually, and I've personally been in many of those conversations, including with DOT officials to inform them before we even start testing in an area. And we've been really humbled by the positive reaction that we've gotten from, uh, uh, from everyone and continue to see that people are excited about the, the technology when, um, and, and are welcoming of Waymo. Um, in addition, we have lots of conversations with fleets and other industry stakeholders, and we see uh, both curiosity and excitement from them as well in terms of what benefits this tech can offer to them um, in terms of dependable performance, where the Waymo driver is always paying attention to the roads and never gets tired and distracted. So the shipments always arrive um, safely securely and on time in terms of greater efficiency benefits where you can have continuous uninterrupted driving and flexible scheduling and routing. And also in terms of cost savings where they can, fleets can reduce their operating costs and insulate their business against industry headwinds like worsening driving shortage or mm-hmm. rising insurance premiums. So at the end of the day, um, I think there's a lot of work to be done to, um, to educate the broader public uh, about the technology and its benefits. Um, and uh, we believe that this um, this self-driving technology can translate to a large increase um, in uh, both improved business for fleets, which will make them more eager to adopt the technology, but also more efficient for end consumers in terms of not just improving road safety, uh, but also improving their overall lives if goods can reach them uh, faster, quicker, and in a more efficient manner. Um, so it's about furthering this education and spreading the word, and that's why um, one of uh, another reason why I'm excited to be talking to you, and hopefully this this interview will also help with that education process. So are, are you seeing a swing in perception then that more people are are getting on side with this than you know was the case maybe five years ago? 
in the conversations that I've personally been in, whether that's with members of the public or whether it's even with our test drivers, whether with with uh, with policy officials in areas where we are testing, um, I do see a lot of positive reaction for the technology. Yeah. Okay, good. I'll get you one more question, then I'll let you go. Um, this is the classic him or her scenario here. Uh, everybody asks this question. I'll go to you for an answer here. In a situation yeah. where a collision is inevitable, it's going to happen. Truck has a choice: hit the little old lady or hit the baby carriage. Yeah, I almost thought you wouldn't ask the question because this is the most most common question I get. So the oh, classic okay. trolley problem. Okay. Um, so the so my belief is that the Waymo driver has the potential to make these sorts of dilemmas almost a moot point. Um, and the reason for that is um, what I mentioned earlier, with the ability to see 360 degrees, never be distracted while driving, our driver has many advantages compared to humans. Um, so they can potentially see the challenge well in advance and allow the, the self-driving vehicle to choose another route or a different driving decision altogether and avoid having to make these theoretical uh, sort of split second decisions at all. Well, good. I hope you're right on that. <laughs> VJ, thanks for your time. Uh, really, uh, really fascinating conversation. I'm glad we had it today. Thank you. Likewise, really great chatting, chatting with you. Thanks so much. Plan to attend the virtual edition of Fleet Forward 2020. Because of the travel restrictions and budget cuts brought on by the pandemic, we've moved Fleet Forward 2020 online. The conference takes place over five mornings, November 9th through the 13th. Just pick a session and log in. To view the full agenda and to register, visit fleetforwardconference.com today. We've been speaking with Vijay Pitnayak, the founder and head of Waymo's self-driving trucks business. We have more on autonomous trucks in this series of special reports on HDT Talks Trucking, and we have two other interviews from Season 1 and Season 3 with driverless trucks advocate Richard Bishop and startup owner Stefan Steltz-Oxmacher. Check those out while you're here. And if you're new to the podcast, make sure you subscribe so you won't miss an episode and hit that like button while you're at it. We've also included a few links to Waymo and stories about the company in the podcast description. HTT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is produced by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening.